Good evening and welcome to tonight's Bible study. I'm glad uh, we could all make it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who is the teacher and the master instructor. Thank you for words that will be interpreted, rightly divided in the Spirit of Christ because of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that these words will be written on the table of our hearts. Thank you that these words will form part of our culture and how we will live by. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Last week, we looked at the parable of the mustard seed from Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 to 32. And Jesus gave a parable on how this mustard seed experienced a very unusual and monstrous growth uh, when, when it became a tree. Uh, like we said last week, the kingdom of God supports growth. The kingdom of God believes in growth, but there was something very unusual about this tree, the, the huge monstrosity of it. And we came to conclude that the growth of this tree was not really a healthy one. It wasn't a healthy one. And especially, it even had birds nesting in its branches. And, you know, we came to understand the symbol of birds, that birds are, are not a very good symbol, or a bird is not a good symbol when you are looking at types and symbols, especially in the Bible. A dove is a, is a good symbol. A dove represents the Holy Spirit at best, but birds don't represent a good symbol. And we even came to establish the fact that even if you read the same chapter in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus referred to birds as emissaries of the devil. He called them the wicked one. He said that when, um, uh, he, when, he, when he talked about the earlier parable of the sower, um, the first soil or the first heart, when the seed was dropped there, birds came to eat it. And the bed there represented the wicked one. And then we looked at so many other scriptures. I think a perfect scripture that we looked at was in Revelation chapter 18, verse 2, which talked about beds. Amen. So we came to establish the fact that beds don't represent a good thing. So this tree that grew and became a very large tree where it had branches and beds came to nest in it was a very unhealthy growth. Uh, growth when corrupted, it's not healthy. No matter how huge it may look like, it's not healthy. Amen. So from this parable, we realized that Jesus was talking on the same theme of corruption among kingdom community. And Jesus is also stressing on the point of being sober and vigilant. Amen. Just like the first parable we looked at, the parable of the test, Jesus stressed on sobriety and vigilance. When people don't fall asleep, we will not give people the opportunity to plant tests in a wheat field. Likewise, when it comes to the parable of the master seed, when we are sober and when we are vigilant, we will supervise the growth of whatever enterprise we are endeavoring. And we will also not allow corruption to nest in it. Amen. So... I believe that was something very powerful. 
Amen. Most times when I look at that parable, it's always parable, it's always explained to be a picture of growth. You know, like when you plant the seeds, the growth occurs and stuff like that. But when you really look into the Bible, that is not really the case. Amen. So Jesus is not against growth, but Jesus is warning us of unhealthy growth. And what is unhealthy growth? Unhealthy growth is when corruption, sin, or evil is mixed with godliness, and then it, it, it explodes in growth that doesn't glorify God. Amen. So now let's get into our lesson for tonight, which is on the parable of the yeast. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. This same parable is in Luke chapter 13, verse 20 to 21. So I did explain a whole lot about the parable of the master seed. So if you listen to last week's sermon, you understand. We did even look at a, a, a scripture in Daniel chapter 4, and we did a um, juxtaposition or we compared to, to look at it in this similar effect side by side and I believe we were blessed by that. Amen. So Matthew chapter 13 verse 33 just one verse uh, one verse that contains a parable or Luke chapter 13 verse 20 to 21 another parable he spoke to them the kingdom of heaven is like leaven most versions use the words yeast. So in our in our in our current term, we'll say yeast. So let's say yeast. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all yeasted or all leavened. Amen. Many, if not most, have interpreted this scripture as a beautiful illustration of growth and influence in the kingdom. But judging from the context and the two parables associated, which we've tackled so far, the parable of the master seed, and I just had a thought block. The parable of the master seed and the parable of the test. Amen. But we need to examine the truth of Jesus' message by a careful read. Amen. So if you just take the scripture in isolation, um, you might think otherwise, but if we place the scripture in its proper context based on the two parables associated with, I think we should be able to fairly come to uh, a biblical conclusion or a fairly balanced conclusion. Amen. My two keywords in this verse are leaven and all leavened. Leaven and all leavened. So, what can we understand from leaven? Uh, what is it? Or uh, why yeast? We know yeast is something that is a, a necessary requirement, if I should say, that is used for baking, especially when it comes to flour and all that stuff. But um, I, I think this woman is that well. So go with me to Exodus chapter 12, verse 15 to 20. Exodus chapter 12, verse 15. To 
Now, um, if you read this scripture from the beginning, God was institutionalizing what was called the Passover. And what is the Passover? The Passover, in other terms, is also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So God has already give, given some set of instructions. So what we are going to read now from verses 16 to 20 is just an extract of the instructions that God is giving to Moses to be given to the Israelites. Amen. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. So what's unleavened? If it's unleavened, it means it has no yeast. So it will just be wafers or crackers, right? On the first day, you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation for you. So the first and the seventh days are holy convocations. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe a feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. 18. In the first month of the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. Amen. So on record, this is the first time God is instructing Israel not to eat yeast during the celebration of the Passover. Uh, mind you, they could eat yeast on any other day. That's what you should know. They were not banned entirely from not having yeast in their flour, but it's just when they are celebrating Passover, they are not supposed to have yeast or leaven. And yeast or leaven actually was accepted as an offering when it comes to the offering of first fruits, according to Leviticus chapter 2, verse 12. So let's just read it. I just wanted to quote it, but I think it's better if we read it. Go to Leviticus chapter 2. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 12. Let me start from verse 11 for a better concept. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall bear no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. So that's one law by the Lord. If you are bringing grain offering, what's grain offering? Grain offering is only food. It says fruits, crops, that's grain offering. Non-bloody, it has no blood. 
So sometimes people will like to say things like God did not accept Cain's offering because it was fruits or it was that is not really the case because God actually accepts grain offering, non-bloody, is accepted before the Lord. But look at something. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. So when it comes to offering of the first fruits, it's permissible to bring yeasted flour. Okay. But when you are putting it on the altar for it to be burnt, don't add yeast. And then when you read verse 13, it says, rather salt the offering. You salt it. You salt all the grains and then you burn them. Amen. Um, so what is the significance of yeast? Exodus chapter 12, verse 33 to 34. Why will God tell these people, don't put yeast in your flour? Why? Exodus 12, verse 33 to 34. And the Egyptians urged the people that they may send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the Egyptians were terrified. If you read the story carefully, the Egyptians had experienced the last plague. The last plague was the death of all their firstborn sons. And the Bible lets us know that it's affected from Pharaoh to even the cattle. Animals were not even excluded. Even animals experienced judgments. Firstborn of every animal died. Firstborn of anybody of the Egyptian who did not have the blood on their doorpost. They all experienced a mourning in their family. And the Bible lets us know that upon that, they now decided that they are going to drive the people, that's the Israelites, out of Egypt. It's like, you guys should go, otherwise all of us will be dead. And the Bible lets us know that in their haste, they took all their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. So the significance of yeast to the Israelites means that they left Egypt in a haste. The second import that you see here is that it's also sacrifice. Are you going to wait for your dough to be yeasted or will you rather experience deliverance? So they had to go. They had to go before their dough was leavened. So you either go out of Egyptian captivity in deliverance, eating unleavened bread, or you stay in the captivity and in the anger of Egyptians, wanting to eat yeasted bread, but the possibility of you dying too could be high. So for the Israelites, the yeast had two significant truths to them. It's signify to them that we left Egypt in a haste. 
and it also signified to them a sort of sacrifice. Um, Christianity has an element of sacrifice. What are you prepared to leave behind to serve God? Let's face it. Have you ever tasted unleavened bread? I have. It's tasteless. For me, it would be better if some yeast will be added to it. It's just tasteless. It's just like wafers. It has no taste. But these people, they never even had the chance for the dough to be leavened because they were being drove, driven in a haste out of Egyptian captivity. That's some sacrifice. So I think whenever these people remember haste or whenever they have the opportunity to put haste or, sorry, whenever they have the opportunity to put yeast on their dough, they were always tied to when we were driven in the haste. So that would be the significance of it. Practically, I believe that may be one of the reasons why yeast was also not allowed for the Passover was also because of the priests. Practically, I believe so. If you do remember when we did the work of ministry seminar and we looked at the subject of the place of prayer and ministry, and I took you through some of the elements, you know, we talked about um, the table, right? The table where the menorah and everything is put on and then they are 12 loaves of bread, which has to be changed every Sabbath. You see, under such climates, if the bread has yeast, it will be moldy. It will mold very fast. And the priests too, they will also have to rely on that for food. Like when they change the, the loaves every Sabbath, they, the, the priest and the Levites normally eat that meal and if it's kept under that temperature with yeast inside, the bread will go moldy. So maybe, I'm just inferring, it could also be another reason why the Lord may not want yeast in the bread. But one of the bigger truths that we'll have to look at why yeast was not supposed to be added to bread when it came to the celebration of Passover was symbolically it represented sin. It's a mixture that is not needed. Amen. So Jesus used this word first time on record to his audience. If you look through the New Testament, the first time on record, that's why I'm using the word on record because not everything that Jesus did was recorded. The Bible says in John, and we'll come there when we when we come to the, the, the last chapter of John. If Jesus' acts and deeds were to be recorded, no books of the world could have contained that. So what we have is just like a very revised biography or condensed biography of what Jesus did. So I'm just using the word on record, because maybe off record, he may have spoken to them on his, but... We who are reading it on record, this is the first time Jesus used the word yeast. And 
to his audience who were mostly Jewish, I believe they got the connotation of it because they all celebrated Passover and they were aware of uh, unleavened bread. Whenever you celebrate Passover, it's the big deal. It's the feast of unleavened bread. So I believe that they all understood that phenomenon. But now I want us to also see other times when Jesus used the word leaven or yeast so that we'll be able to understand why Jesus used the parable of the yeast. Amen. So go with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 5 to 12. Matthew chapter 16, verse 5 to 12. Now, when the disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So this scripture lets me know that on their trips, they always had meals. They always took bread. They always had bread. And Jesus says that beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the disciples got very confused. But I would say they reasoned among themselves and they said, is it because we did not take any bread? Because when Jesus said that, I think they interpreted to the that, wow, so does that mean if the Pharisees and Sadducees, if they give us bread, we shouldn't eat it? That is how they were thinking. And Jesus, being aware of their thoughts, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you brought no bread. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it you do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So in this context, Jesus used leaven to represent the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And why did Jesus call the adoption leaven? Because it was corrupted and it was polluted. So Jesus was telling them that be careful of these Pharisees and Sadducees who are teachers. They are not giving you any doctrine. It's leaven. It's corrupted. It's a mixture. So aside Jesus using leaven in this parable, the first time after the narration of the parable of the East, he used it to describe the corrupted and polluted teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Amen. Let's look at another reference from Jesus when he used the term yeast or leaven. Luke chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Luke chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. 
in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, there was a stampede. So many people. He began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of Pharisees. See, there was a stampede. Too many people. It's like one of these rock concerts or rock festivals that they always reported. Too many people, lots of casualties. People are getting injured. They are trampling upon each other. Jesus is very compassionate, very sympathetic, very empathetic. But before Jesus will even address the needs of the people who are experiencing a stampede, he wanted his disciples to understand something in the midst of chaos. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. That is even more important to Jesus than the stampede in the crowd. And he explained which is hypocrisy. So in the midst of chaos, Jesus is also preaching a very serious message. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. So Jesus is using a euphemism here that anything that is done in darkness will be brought to light. Excuse me. So in this context, when Jesus used leaven again, he was talking of hypocrisy. See, a, a mixture. You claim to be good on the outside, but you are doing something else. It's a hip, you're a hypocrite, and you're a hypocrite. It's leaven. And what is leaven used for? Leaven is used for dough. When you are trying to make your flour, you need it so that you'll be able to make the dough larger. Amen. So now, that is Jesus. Let's read further into the New Testament on leaven, on Paul's commentary to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6 to 8. I, I want to build my case on leaven, because if we can understand the significance of leaven, it will help us to understand the parable. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6 to 8. And I hope you are also taking notice because whenever you also read parables on your own and you want an understanding or interpretation of the parable, you should be able to build a case just like how I'm doing. And then you'll be able to understand it in its biblical context. Amen. So also take notes. Verse 6 to 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Your glory is not good. Now, why would Paul use that word, your glory is not good? You have to start from verse 1. Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about sexual immorality being pervasive in the church. And it has become such a pervasive act in the church to the point that the Corinthians, they don't have any remorse. They are in the church. 
You know, Paul is talking about, is talking to the church, he's not talking to the unbelievers. He's not talking to anybody outside. He's talking about people who have professed Christ as their Lord and Savior. And sexual immorality has become a thing in the church. It's become a very pervasive act in the church. And the people are not showing any remorse. They are not showing any repentance. And Paul is looking at their attitude and saying, your glory is not good. You are not repenting. This is sin. You are not supposed to wallow in it and feel good about it. You are to repent. This was a church whereby people were sleeping with their other people's husbands and other people's fathers. It was just common knowledge. Not even in secrecy but in the open. Now, this is what Paul said. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lamp? Don't you know that yeast can affect the whole meal or the whole batch of dough? That's what he's saying. Look, you see, Paul is talking about sexual immorality and he's saying that, don't you know that yeast can really affect the whole batch or the whole dough. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lamp, since you truly are unleavened. So you see Paul now? So why will Paul use the word leaven here? Paul is talking about sin. And Paul is saying that for us to come to our state of true unleavenedness in Christ, we have to take away that yeast. Take sin away from you. If you take sin away from you, then you will come to your state of being unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover. See, Paul is such a very skillful writer. So he was able to link it to the Passover. That now Christ, who is our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul also using leaven in this context is referring to sin. The reason why sexual immorality has become a pervasive culture in your church is because you didn't deal with it. You allow sin, which is like ungodliness, to mix with godliness, and it has tainted your godliness. And one thing we have to understand is that when all of us receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we are unleavened bread. That's why we don't have to allow sin to have its pervasive work in us, because it's tantamount to yeast being mixed with dough. It's not a good thing. So in this context, Paul is using leaven here to refer to sin. Amen. Now to my last scripture, Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 to 9. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 to 9. 
Now, this book is in the context of Paul being an apologist. And when we talk about an apologist, who is an apologist? An apologist is one who defends the truth, especially of the Bible. Paul was defending the truth of the Bible that when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we have come to the end of the law. We don't have to live by the law. The Galatians, in this case, they were mixing the law and faith, and it was not profiting them. So that's why the whole book of Galatians is written. The whole book of Galatians is written to sort of bring the people's mind to when you receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, the law is not supposed to be your tutor. You can't say that you've received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. You are living by faith and you are still living by the law. It's a bad mixture. So throughout the six chapters of Galatians, this is Paul's recurring theme. And now we read from verse 7. You run well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Now, if you read verse 1, verse 1 says that, Stand fast in the liberty wherein Christ has made you free, and do not be yoked again with the yoke of bondage. Now, what's the yoke of bondage there? The yoke of bondage is not symbolically an enemy. The yoke of bondage is not even symbolically sin. The yoke of bondage there is the law. When you have received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior and you've come into the liberty of his spirit, don't be entangled again with the law because we are not under the law. We are under grace. So in chapter 5, right there, Paul is talking about the law. And Paul is saying that, don't you know that a little leaven? So the same statement he told the Corinthian church, he's telling the Galatian church, a little leaven leavens the whole lamp. What does he mean? As a believer, when you try to introduce law into the gospel of faith, you corrupt everything. So that's what Paul is trying to say. And like I said, if you read um, the four chapters up to chapter 5, that has been his recurring theme. So in this context, leaven refers to the law. So from all the scriptures we quoted, what is leaven? It is an ungodly mixture. That's what I want to say. So everything that we have read means that leaven is an ungodly mixture. Anything ungodly mixing with godly things is leaven or yeast. And that's why when God instructed the, Christian, the, the Israelites in Exodus chapter 12, you have to look at it from a very bigger picture. Symbolic. It's talking about sin. We are unleavened before God. Because Christ is our Passover. And for us to live a life of service and a life of worship unto God, we have to come to a place where we are not leavened. We don't have to have any ungodly mixture. Do you all get it? So now back to the parable in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. Let's read it again. 
Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures till it was all leavened. So now with all the scriptures we have read, when we look at this in context, comparing it to the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the tares, and now adding this story, the parable of the yeast, Jesus is highlighting to us still corruption in a kingdom community. And this particularly is highlighting to us the dangers of sin unchecked in a kingdom community. It's pressed like leaven. It's if we allow a mixture of ungodliness with godliness, ungodliness like leaven can corrupt godliness. Do we all get it? So like I said, if you read this out of context, you are tempted to think that this scripture is painting a very beautiful picture of kingdom influence and kingdom growth. It is not. I'll admit to you, 2012, I preached this sermon and I preached it in, the, in, in, in a way which presupposes to us that wherever you plant the kingdom, even as a yeast, you experience growth and influence. I preached it, people clapped, people were blessed, but it was wrong. I'm telling you, I have. So like I'm telling you, if you, if you take this out of context, and it's 2012, I still have the notes on my iPad. If you take this scripture out of context, you will think that this is talking to us about growth, but it's not really talking to us about kingdom growth, kingdom influence. It's not. It's talking to us about the dangers of sin unchecked, the danger of corruption unchecked. All that it would take for corruption to infiltrate, pollute, and corrupt a kingdom society is just a little yeast. And people who normally bake, how much yeast do you have to put in flour? Very little. It makes and it bloats everything out. So we should really be mindful of the dangers of sin or corruption go running in our lives unchecked. Amen. Let me give you an example of that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. And I read, Do not be misled. I think I'm reading this from the NIV, I believe. Bad company corrupts good character. See, it's like yeast. Just like yeast. So for your character to be corrupted, or as the popular saying may use, good manners, for your manners to be corrupted, all that it takes is for a company, just like yeast. Just like yeast. It takes very little. So we have to be very sober and vigilant once again, and not sleep. This third parable also extols to us that godly quality 
of sobriety and vigilance. In the first parable of the test, which we just did two weeks ago, it, it spoke to us of sobriety and vigilance. Why? So that we can watch out for the seeds of tears sowed among our wheat fields. Just last week, we did the parable of the master seed. It also highlights to us that same quality of sobriety and vigilance. Why? So that we can watch out for the birds that will nest in our branches. And now today, we are looking at the parable of the yeast. We have to be sober and vigilant to watch out for the seeds of ungodliness mixing with godliness. We don't have to sleep. When I'm talking about we don't have to sleep, like I keep on saying, doesn't mean when it's bedtime, you should not go to bed. You should go to bed. But when we are talking about sleeping, we are talking about you not being aware of the vices of the enemy and taking a chill pill. If you do that, whatever that you are building as a kingdom community, as a kingdom society, can easily be infiltrated, can easily be nested because we lack sobriety and vigilance. Amen. So being sober and vigilance means we should not be giving in to sleep. Least the enemy will take advantage over us. Amen. So that's it for today. Um, I believe today is a short one. Amen. I just said in my mind that today I'm really going to do a short one. I just didn't say it aloud. Because anytime I say today is going to be a short one, I always, I always mess it up and it never becomes a short one. So I always say in my head, today is going to be a short one. So it's a short one. So I'm done for now. Amen. So if you have any questions or contributions, they are welcome. God bless you. Who has any contributions? Who has any questions? Well, I one thing I I personally have I'm I think of when I think of Jesus using the word uh, East or what is that? the living is hype that we hype the gospel or hype our testimonies. It it doesn't make it more effective. It, it, it like you just it, it makes it. I mean, I, I don't think God wants that. It should be whatever He's giving you. That's what you should say. And I believe the the Pharisees they like to hide of what is written, what Moses did, and what they are doing. So that's how I understand it. Amen. I think that, that, yeah, there's some truth to it. Hype. Why you put yeast in something, it bloats the dough. Oh, yeah. Hype. Yeah, that's powerful. Who has any question or contribution? No question?
yeast, is it a symbol of comfort? So please, um, guys, then respond. Someone has asked a question. Is it a symbol of comfort? Since we have no question, I believe that we all fully understand. So please do me the honor then. Is yeast a symbol of comfort? Someone has asked a question in the chat. So let's answer. So if you say comfort, what do you mean by comfort? Is it like being comfortable talking about the gospel or being relaxed about it? I mean, how how would you define the comfort? All right, that's that's a good okay, question. Okay, so what I was so when uh he was talking about the exodus of the Israelites, right? Um and they were they had to leave in haste. So they had to leave what they knew to follow God. And so in leaving what they knew, they, they had to let go of some comfort. Which is why I was uh, asking that. Um, because then the leaven kind of uh, kind of symbolizes that in a sense to them. Uh, because when you sacrifice something for God, you leave your comfort zone or you leave something that is comforting to you, right? Uh, like when we fast, right, we let go of certain foods or all food, depending on what type of fast you're doing. That is coming out of our, we're not going to feel good, right, necessarily. Our body isn't going to feel good necessarily. So that's what I'm talking about, you know, Um following after God, uh, sometimes you have to do things differently that you wouldn't normally do. Um, even though that, that you like those things, they're not, may not even necessarily be simple things, but, um, you, you can't follow God. If you keep doing those things, they're just not going to allow you to fully submerse yourself in it. That's what I was trying to say. Amen. Guys, what do we think? Yeah, I think, yeah, you have to, following God, you, you have to leave your comfort zone, you know, the things that rely on the most, the things that we know that, okay, to do this, you have to do this and that, and God is telling you that, okay, this time you have to let go and trust me and just go. You know, like when he told the disciples, Go and preach the gospel, but when you leave in, don't take anything. That is their comfort zone, you know. So following God, yes, we have to let go our the things that we know, which is our comfort zone. So yes, I think it is. I I just received a con a, a contribution here in writing. Uh, someone is saying that I believe so that yeast is a symbol of comfort because it makes the food more, or in some sense, that symbolically, it makes you not worry or depend on God. That's powerful. Yeah. That's powerful. That's powerful. Amen.
So that's Felicia's contribution in writing. Amen. Love it. All right. Is your question answered? Yeah, yeah. I just wanted us to discuss that a little bit um, just because I was seeing that when you were sharing the story. Let's take one last question or contribution and then we'll be done for tonight. I want to trust we've all learned something tonight. So what have you learned? Anybody could take the floor. We have five minutes. At least two people can take the floor. What did you learn? What resonated with you? What one lesson will you take home today? From all the scriptures we've read. I I have learned that uh, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't follow popular opinion. That is where the hype comes in because it's, you see a preacher, somebody sent me a clip and the person was with his, the energy and the way he was talking and I believe that's why it's the person who sent it to me thought that that was gospel, you know. And I replied, I said, that, that is full of himself. There's nothing scripture about whatever he was saying. You know, if you believe that, then you don't believe in what Jesus Christ came to do. So we have to be careful with the thing that is out there. You know. And that is why I, I I I think the hype is very crucial. You can see people, they, they are so hyper and they, they, they use the right words and they can explain things. But you open and you compare that to scriptures, it's, it's full of, I mean, I don't want to use the word that came to my mind. So we have to be very careful about that. Amen. All right. Who else? I'd like to hear from someone who hasn't talked. Please redeem the time. We've spoken about redeem the time. Redeem the time. <laughs> redeem the time. We are running out. I want, I want to hear from an unspoken member today. Nobody. Okay, spoken members, just redeem the time for us because time is running fast. Nobody. All right, I can also contribute. Well, maybe it might not be tied up to this story. Maybe it's tied up to my personal experience. For me, I just learned that to 
interpret the Bible rightly takes a lot of work and a lot of patience. For me, that's what I learned. Because I don't know, when I was reading this story, I just remembered, I think, I just remembered all my mess. Do you understand? I've, like I said, I've preached this 2012. I have the notes and everything. So I don't know, I don't know when I was reading it, that kept coming to me. You know, the fact that church members say amen and come to shake your hands, Pastor, I was blessed. It doesn't mean it was a good message. It doesn't mean so. Because I had that. It's very powerful. I was even looking at the notes today. I was just comparing this. I said, wow, Lord, man has come a long way. 2012, that's how many years ago? I think 11 years ago, I believe. Yeah, so... To me, that's what it ministered to me. So take your time, read the Bible, allow the Holy Spirit to breathe upon the scriptures. Take your time. Bible interpretation is hard work. Trust me, it's no small joke. It's hard work. It's hard work. Take your time. That's why you should never ever come to a place and say, I know it all. Amen. Never ever come to that place. Because you you will really be in self-deception. And it's eight o'clock. Father, thank you for your word you've given to us. We pray that may we come to a place where we will have zero tolerance for sin, zero tolerance for corruption, zero tolerance for ungodliness. For we have learned from your scriptures tonight that it is like yeast that easily leavens our lamp. Father. Help us to stay pure. Help us to stay unleavened. Help us to stay dedicated to your cause and to your worship. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Enjoy the rest of your week. And love you guys. Good night.